Hello, and welcome to episode 257 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Do you ever wonder where your perspective was formed or how it impacts the way you think? Well, today I'm talking to Chuck Wisner about how to have conscious conversations. And guess what? It starts with the conversations you have with yourself. But first, a warm welcome to Lauren P. to the Modern Manager community. Membership is the easiest way to show your support for the show, while also gaining access to resources and community that can help you further develop your management skills. The patron level, which is $15 per month, gets you dozens of guest bonuses from podcast guests, including discounts on their services, free worksheets, and webinar recordings that are otherwise not available to the public. And you even get free books and coaching sessions on occasion. And my favorite, you get extended interviews via the members-only podcast, which you can listen to in whatever podcast player you use. So head on over to themodernmanager.com slash join to learn more and become a member today. Now, Chuck Wisner is a sought-after thinker, coach, and teacher in organizational strategy, conversational dynamics, and leadership excellence. He has spent 25 years as a business and personal consultant and a trusted advisor to leaders in high-profile companies across industries, including Google, Apple, Tesla, Ford, DTE Energy, General Motors, and others. He is the author of the book, The Art of Conscious Conversations. Chuck and I talk about the stories we tell ourselves and how they can get in the way of productive conversations with our colleagues, and also just in general, these stories help or hinder us. We touch on how to unpack our own thoughts, how to better understand our team members' perspectives, and a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chuck. I'm super excited for our conversation. I just finished reading your book and it was just so enlightening and has really got me thinking a lot about the stories that I tell myself and where they come from and where how they impact me. So really excited to dive into this topic with you today. Me too. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's start off with these stories, these stories that we tell ourselves because they seem to be the foundation of pretty much every thought, every conversation, right? All of this is kind of embedded in these stories that we tell ourselves. So can you lay out what are these stories and where do they come from? Okay. Stories, the first part of the book is story storytelling conversations that support the other three conversations. I like to talk about stories because we, from the minute we're born into our family and then we live in our culture, whatever country we live in, we sort of are these sponges as young babies and then children. And we soak up everything around us culturally. And we soak up the beliefs of our families. And we soak up the stories that people tell us about ourselves. Like you're shy or you're this or you're that. And what happens is, and I, that's not a judgment of any of that, but it's to say we often live through these stories without paying conscious attention to them. And so when they serve us well, that's really a cool thing. But when they don't serve us well, they're, they can limit how we think about ourselves and what we're able to achieve in life and how we live life. Could you maybe give us an example of what, one of these stories and kind of how it might serve us well or how it might hold us back? Sure. So I'll do, I'll tell you that there's one of these stories is in the book and one isn't. 
from a personal perspective, I grew up in a somewhat dysfunctional family, but I had a grandmother that adored me. And she gave me a level of confidence in myself that isn't overbearing, but it's sort of this innate sort of like, you can do it, trust yourself. That sort of, I embodied early on. Now, so that's a story that really served my life well. But ironically, counter to that, I had a grandfather who was a bit of a redneck, not a bit, a lot of a redneck. And he was a man's man in those days. That was a long time ago. And he, he constantly was telling me that I wasn't man enough. And that was because of things I did or things I didn't want to do as a young boy. And that story, that, that message he gave me, you know, be a bigger man, you're not man enough, really implanted itself in my, my very being. And it, it lived with me for many, many years until I was able to, again, oh, wow, I didn't really realize that story was driving, driving parts of my life and surface it, acknowledge it, and then work with it and then really recognize that it wasn't my truth, but it was his truth. And that was a very enlightening moment in my life. It's so interesting because these messages that we get and the way that we think about ourselves, right, as you're saying, is kind of so embedded in us. It is really hard to be conscious of them. And I'm right. I'm wondering, kind of given the the impact, maybe we can just dive right into the real meat of this, which is how do we become more conscious of these beliefs about ourselves, these stories that we've kind of embodied and and be able to start to acknowledge them for for what they are. Yeah, so you're right. it's not it's not easy work. It's no, there's no magic switch. But I believe once we just even recognize the fact that we live through our stories and we have stories about ourselves, we have stories about other people, once we just sort of just even accept that notion, then we can sort of shine a light a bit more and we can begin to turn our attention onto what stories drive a lot of our thinking. And for me, that was recognizing that there were voices or personalities that I had, sub-personalities they're called, that were deflating, that were not serving me, that made me feel insignificant or insecure. And so one thing to do is to begin to, in a much more sort of conscious and subtle way, pay attention to some of the some of those messages that are in the background of your mind, background of your consciousness. Because if we can really start to pay attention and go, oh, there's that, that rascal is showing up again, then we can work with it. And in the book, I talk about different ways that we can take work with them and deconstruct them and understand them and, and transform them. Does that begin to answer your question? Yeah. And actually, I would love for you to share one of those processes. And, and I'll say the one that really resonated for me when I was looking through was this idea of the left-hand column, which I've used in meetings many times to say, whatever it is that you're saying in the room, if you're having kind of a left-hand column running through your brain of other thoughts that you're not saying, like that's a problem. And we need to figure out how to get those other thoughts often into the room and create right. better conversation in that way. But you use this tool in a in a different way that I think was really, really helpful to kind of unpack some of that thinking. So can you share that? 
Sure. Yeah. The left-hand column that you're referring to an exercise that was created by Chris Arduous probably back in the seventies. And it was a little early. It wasn't very acceptable in the business school at Harvard, but I've learned this through my studies on language and, and it's sort of the public conversation, what we say out loud versus the private conversation, which is what's going on in our mind while we're talking or while we're interacting with people. And that private conversation is part of what I was saying. We begin to pay attention to what the stories are and what the message is inside those private conversations. Now, oftentimes people get are told you have a left-hand column. You're not saying what you're thinking. You're not saying what you're feeling. But we often aren't taught how to process that. And for me, that's really the key here because some of our private conversations, if we really take a serious look at them, are pretty darn negative. And I like to say they can be even toxic. And when they're toxic, they sort of are in the background of our our mind and in every relationship or every meeting or every whatever. If we can't process those, we are being less authentic, less vulnerable, less open, less creative. And so the process, what I the shortcut I have in the book, or not the shortcut, the, the the tool I have in the book is under every judgment we have whether it's an internal private conversation, like men shouldn't treat women that way. I shouldn't have said that. She shouldn't say that to me. All those private judgments and opinions we have, we need to sort of wrestle with them because we can transform the negativity into something positive. And there's four basic elements. And, and, and it sounds really simple, but when you start doing it, it's more complex. The four biggest basic elements are for every judgment you have, there's some hidden desire you have, what you thought should have happened or what you want to have happen that is at odds with reality. Desires are a good thing, but they can also be something that is out of sync with reality. The second is for every judgment we have, we have a concern. We have a concern about tomorrow. Well, I'm thinking this because I don't want tomorrow to feel the same way today. I'm thinking about this because I don't want this re- relationship to be the same tomorrow. And so there's a seed of wanting to make some change there. And, and so acknowledging our concerns and processing them is really healthy. The third is authority for every relationship, whether we're a manager or whether we're talking about our kids or our parents or our boss or even our community and our friends. There are always power issues. Whose voice do we give authority to? Whose voice has authority just because they have extra stripes in their arm? And this, this power play is always, is always present for, in our relationships, uh, no matter the context. And the last is standards. And this goes back to our stories. We adopt standards and values and beliefs from our family and our culture that often we didn't choose consciously. We adopt them, and then we live through them or live by them. And what we do when we shine a light on our standards, we can say, we can say, wow, I have, I might be at odds with this person, but I'm wondering if they're looking at it from a different way or if their value is different or if their belief is different. And if we can, again, acknowledge our standards and see differences, we can take a lot of the, the conflict and a lot of the sting out of a lot of conversations. So that, that's a real quick hit on those four pieces, but they're crucial to understanding how to process our private conversations. Yeah, I love how how simple this could be to kind of 
catch yourself or kind of take some time after uh, <laughs> having some maybe unhelpful or unhealthy thoughts and say, all right, what's really going on and assessing your own thinking in this way? And I'm wondering, as a manager, right, I have I should be doing this for myself and recognizing when with my own thoughts, but also I want to help my team do that same process. Are there ways that we can help our team to better understand their own thinking and kind of what's underlying or driving that thinking that could ultimately help shift their own approach or their own consciousness in coming into a conversation or going out of a conversation, I should say? Sure. The funny contradiction about our private conversations and all these negative judgments we have are inside of them is embedded really okay concerns. Our concerns are fine. We, if we have a concern and we can surface it, it, it often can, can, can change a conversation. And being aware of the other three issues is, can be transformational. So there's two ways to use this. We can use this on ourselves, but we can also use this to, with other people to help bring, bring it out in them, to help them understand what their concerns are or help them speak to power issues if they're present. And one way I like to think about this is if we're working with someone or manager is working with someone, and often we're in these conversations like holding a closed fist, like we have our position, we have our perspective, we have our judgment, and, and, and it's a closed fist. And, and if two people or three people or four people are meeting our closed fist, we're just in a battle. You know, we're never going to get anywhere. We go in circles and we've all experienced that. But with the questions, we can use the questions to inquire into other people and help other people acknowledge and release some of their thoughts and by doing, asking really good questions. And the four archetypal questions help us ask good questions. Like a manager could ask, well, okay, I see you're worried about the progress of the project. You're worried about how much work you're getting done or not getting done. What do you want? What do you think we should be achieving? What do you think we should want to get from this? What are the goals? That, that's a way of asking about their desire. What do you want out of this conversation? Or you could ask, you're upset. What, are you, what is your basic concern? What are you concerned about? Or, by the way, I know you don't like the evaluation. Here's my standard. Here's how am I evaluating. Do you have a different standard that you think is, is a different way of looking at this than I do. So those four key things help us ask good questions. And slowly, if we ask good questions, people's fists open and they having, they're having a more open-handed conversation. So we can internalize them or we can use them to help other people be more open and transparent in what their thinking is. Yeah, I love this because right, it's not only helping them unpack, but it's helping us get smarter in the in the same moment together. together. Yeah, and the storytelling conversation is the first. The second is the collaborative conversation, and that really is that art of learning together. Of if I'm sort of slowly opening my hand and revealing my <laughs> the, the cards that I'm dealt or the cards that I have, that is it's sort of a vulnerable but a powerful move at the same time, and it's. It's actually contagious. It sort of gives some safety to other people to say, well, wow, I didn't know you thought that way. I have, I'm thinking about it completely differently. Or you have that concern. I have the same concern. So how comes we're at odds? And so that, that ability to be in that 
conversational collaborative dance is really that art of asking and telling and opening our hands and revealing our real thoughts and, and feelings. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about the role of facts versus opinions versus kind of our these beliefs or or stories or kind of messages that we're holding. Because I can see how we want to unpack our individual thoughts and our thoughts with other people and have more productive conversations. But it also feels like there's sometimes maybe a, a difference of opinion that needs to get unpacked. But maybe also, do we have the, sh- the same experience that we're looking at together? And this actually just happened. I was in a meeting with another mm. woman and she described what happened in one way. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so different from what I thought was happening. And so it was mm. almost like we... We're in, we had two different sets of facts, which I know isn't possible, but we interpreted the same situation differently. So I'm wondering if you can kind of un- unweave all of this kind of tangled mess yeah. of stories, facts, opinions, beliefs, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it sounds so simple when we say, let's just separate facts from opinions, but it's incredibly complex, like, like you just mentioned. Part of the reason is another part of the equation is emotions and feelings. So we're in a meeting, you're in the meeting with other woman, and things are said, things are done, and you both have emotional reactions to that. You both have a reaction that then taps into your ego, taps into your story about what should have happened, what shouldn't have happened, who should have done what. And now, and now we're in this, you know, the, oh, the tangle webs we weave, right? So one thing to understand is that when we are having these reactions, like your your reaction to the meeting versus the other woman. First of all, say what are really acknowledge what what am I feeling? I'm feeling confused. She's feeling angry. To acknowledge that because our emotions are simply a message, simply a physical manifestation of what our thinking is. And so if we can acknowledge our emotion and go, okay, let me just for instance, I'll say you were you were confused or you were def- and she was defensive. In your confusion, I would say, let's understand why you're confused. Let's understand what your concerns are. Let's understand what you wanted to get out of this meeting. Let's understand what your standards are. And this helps ground you in, in just in your thinking. And if both people can sort of do that work, and sometimes only one person will do that work, then when you come back to the conversation, you're a little more centered and actually, then that's where facts come in. So I think, you know, let's, let's revisit the meeting. What were we trying to accomplish and what actually happened that we, can, that we can agree on? So not our interpretation of what happened, but what happened, the factual reality of what happened. And if we can take, I'm not talking about hours of time, we can take five minutes just to ground ourselves in the facts for any difficult conversation. That's a very important grounding where, where we have our feet on the ground. Everyone agrees, okay, this is what happened. He said, she said, then they did this. Let's just agree. That's what happened. Now we all have our reactions. We all have our concerns and we all have our standards. Let's talk about those. And so that's a way of saying through our emotions to understand our thinking, come back to what's the reality. And then we're in a much safer space to have an open dialogue that there'll be some mutual learning that comes out of it and and benefits maybe even move to the next conversation which is creative conversation. I'm wondering if you have a story of a client or even of yourself where 
you've kind of gone through this process and it has really transformed the outcome, the relationship, the the way that you were able to move forward because you were able to unpack all these pieces. Sure. Yeah. One a, a, a sort of common theme that I find is someone who is disappointed that they didn't get their promotion or disappointed that they didn't get what they thought they deserved, whether it's a raise or more stripes in their arm. And and they have a pretty visceral emotional reaction to it. And so when they get to me, they're saying, this is unbelievable. I worked my butt off. I've done this. I've done this. I'm definitely the next person in line for that job. And I didn't get it. And that's they obviously don't understand me. They don't appreciate me. So there they are revealing their story, right, to me. And then what I will do is ask them, okay, look, I, I understand your feelings. I understand you're upset. Help me understand you're saying that you deserve the promotion and you've done all this hard work. What, what did they tell you? What, what feedback did you get? Are there any facts that aren't related to your upset, but are there any facts that would help us understand this? So that's the, uh, uh, often a good question. And then secondly, I help them see that for this particular instance, I help them see that their ego is sort of running the show here. Like you're really upset because you thought you should get it, but reality is you didn't. And so now they're in a battle with reality. And then if we can unpack what they thought they should have happen versus what happened in reality, that I'm closing this gap between reality where they're fighting reality versus really accepting it where today can much better move on. So in this person's case, if they accept that, okay, it's maybe I'm not seen as, as well in the same way that I believe I'm, I, I, that I give myself credit for or what I think I'm doing, if there's a gap there, can I learn from that? Can I do something different? And if they can take that sort of, if they can take that learning and say, oh, wow, there's lessons I can get here. There's things I can do differently. When they they process it and they take this loss, but they learn from it and they move forward, every conversation they have going forward will be a bit different because we've, we've sort of taken some of the ego out. We've given them a check on reality. They're learning some lessons. And tomorrow's conversation might be different than today's conversation. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think this piece around kind of pushing back where this the story that I believe or my desires that I thought were going to come true isn't what happened and this kind of friction between what I intended and what I hoped and what I believed versus reality and and shifting right. that to okay I need to have some acceptance around this that's not easy and I feel like that happens so much kind of on the flip side too where the manager is the one saying like I'm sorry you're not getting this promotion or I'm sorry we can't yes. that this is the timeline it's not being changed and that friction that's happening is being caused by things managers have to do to be able to get think about the whole team and the whole project and all the work are there things that we can do to help our colleagues who are on the other side of that who are kind of frustrated by that friction and the distance? Are there things that we can do in the way that we're communicating and the way that we're delivering these messages to help make it easier for the other person to accept that gap and to be more accepting of the reality? 
Yeah, w- w- the model I like is there's a there's a, a model called the four moods, and the four moods have to do with our ability to accept reality or not, and and or accept possibilities tomorrow being different than today or not. And when we can't accept reality, like I can't accept that I didn't get the promotion and it shouldn't be this way, we actually are moving toward a, a, a mood of resentment, right? Life shouldn't have happened this way. They shouldn't treat me this way. And we, we sort of get stuck in a mood of resentment. And that is not a healthy thing. And it can stick and live with us for a long time. If we accept reality, and it doesn't mean we like it, but if we accept it, because it's happened, it's over with, as my kids say, it is what it is. But if we can accept it, we doesn't mean we don't like it, doesn't mean we don't learn lessons, but we, there's a calming effect, there's a peaceful effect of accepting what we can't change. And, and that's a, a different mood. Now, if this is a reality and we're now thinking about, well, what's possible? If we can't accept that there's something else possible, that I could get the raise next month or I could get the job next year, if we can't accept that and we don't have some some way of seeing that, oh, I, if I work harder, if I change this, if I change that, then we move into a mood of resignation. And there's a lot of that in business where just, you know, this is hopeless. I'm just stuck here. I'm stuck in this job, blah, blah, blah. They'll never treat me like I want. That's a mood of resignation. But if we can shift, if we can help people say, well, let's, what's possible? You think? What's possible in the next six months? What's possible next year? That's a mood accepting it's accepting possibility. It's accepting that new things can happen. And that's sort of a mood, a creative mood, a wonderful a, a mood of like wonder. I wonder what's possible. And boy, if we can just ask the questions to move people into that space, okay, we don't like what happened. I can't change it. You can't change it. But what do we learn? What do we do differently? And what's possible for you? And shift, helping them shift into that mood of wonder, that mood of creative thinking and regaining some confidence is very powerful, especially because this resentment and resignation moods are, are pretty insidious and they sort of live under, underground in a lot of these relationships. Completely. And I can see how powerful that mood is when, you know, as a team, you're making decisions and my opinion may not always be the opinion that gets held and right. the decision I may not always love, but if I can accept that, and still believe that what's possible going forward, that I'll still have opportunity to shape the project, I'll still have opportunities to give valuable input, right? Then that can be a really powerful place for people to to sit. And that as managers, it's our job to help people understand that the future is open, possibilities exist, and we can't mm-hmm. go back and change what was, that decisions have been made, things are in motion, we can't always undo the past. Right. And that sort of starts moving into the third conversation of the book. The book is four parts, but the third part is on the creative conversation. And that's accepting reality, accepting possibilities, and also trusting our intuition that that, that that's a really great space that we often skip over because we're we're stuck in one of the more negative moods. Well, I wish we had time to dive into those, but we're unfortunately out of time. <laughs> so, Chuck, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person such a fantastic boss? 
Yeah, I was trained as an architect many, many years ago. And one of my managers was teaching me how to draft. And this is a funny example because it, it, it seems harsh, but he liked me and he really wanted to teach me. And he gave me an assignment and I dutifully drafted something up. And when he came back to look at it, he said, Here, here's what you did. You did, you, you mixed, I, I don't want to get into the details, <laughs> but you mixed you mixed your, you used inches and feet in the wrong way. And it's confusing because you have to be consistent. And then he just took that, my drawing and just took it and said, now start over and don't make that mistake again. And so he was firm. He had a high standard. He taught me what his standard was. And he was tough because he just took it and said, start over. But that's a lesson that stuck with me forever. Fabulous, right? And that's those are the powerful moments that shape us, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. And where can people keep up with you, get a copy of your book, all that jazz? So my website is chuckwisner.com, W-I-S-N-E-R. On there, they can connect with me if they want to reach out to me. I do speaking engagements, and I also work with people one-on-one as well as teams. I have an Instagram account, which is chuckwisner also. At, and I think it's the same on Facebook and LinkedIn. So I'm pretty easy to find out there. Yeah, and my book is on my book is on Amazon, The Art of Conscious Conversation. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much again for joining me today, Chuck. Really a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Chuck is offering patron-level members of The Modern Manager a discount on his speaking services. So if you found his messages compelling today, why not bring him into your next event? Also, in our extended interview, Chuck explains the creative conversations and the commitment conversations that we have and how to set those up for success. So to get this guest bonus and the extended interview, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.